Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We have a very special guest today from Sheath, Robert Patton. How's it going? I'm doing very well, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Sure, yeah. I use, I've been using your product for several years now, so it seemed like a good idea. That's uh, good to hear. We have a lot of uh, loyal customers, and I'm happy to hear that you're one of them. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I appreciate you taking care of my dick and balls. You know what I mean? It's a very important thing to look. You, you don't want to skimp on like your bed and pillows because you sleep for a third of your life. You don't want to skimp on anything that has to do with your junk or your diet. No. Those are the three things that I think you should spend money on. I wholeheartedly agree because it can be a distraction also if you're like uncomfortable and uh, down there. Yeah, so. nothing's worse. Nothing's worse. Um, <laughs> so what uh, – l- let's get into your background a little bit first. You were in the military? Yes. Yes, sir. I, I was in the Army. I uh, did two tours in Iraq, and I joined at 26, so I joined like a little bit later. But I really enjoyed it. Kind of. What did, what did you? Where were you stationed? What did you do? I I went to basic training at Fort Lee. No, uh, Fort Jackson, and then I was stationed in Fort Lee, Virginia, mm-hmm. and we were a support group for a quartermaster company. And I didn't do anything terribly like exciting. It was more or less depressing because <laughs> we had dealt with a lot of the casualties mm. of the. Uh, the Iraq war and, and Afghanistan. So the people that put the flags on the uh, cargo transfer cases mm-hmm. were, uh, I was that guy. Okay. And not a fun job. And you were yeah. in, uh, you were in for what, 20 years, it says, I think here. Is that right? Uh, I did two tours and I did six years. It was, it was more than enough to, uh, it was like 20 years worth of, Oh yeah, See, sorry, I read this wrong. It says you were going to do twenty. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. blame you. I did five, and I was like, eh. Well, I mean, when, when I got out, the war was kind of coming to an end. It was in late two thousand ten. Yeah, um, <clears throat> it was like, I'm not going to stick around. Like our next deployment was scheduled, and it was uh, to go train Afghan police. I'm like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. That's that, that seems like yeah a bad That's idea. That's very similar similar to what where I was at in my. We were our next deployment was scheduled. We were supposed to go to Afghanistan with uh, the 4th Infantry Division, and our mission was going to be to win the hearts and minds of the Afghanis, and part of that was going to include us not wearing protective vests or helmets mm-hmm. so that they we would be showing them that we trusted them. And I was just like, that seems a little risky. So anyways, I... I deferred out of that deployment and was able to exit the military to pursue building sheath which i did have the idea for on my second deployment and i really enjoyed the military i enjoyed the army like the training aspect the camaraderie the pushing yourself beyond your what you would you know normally be accustomed to and 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 excelling and that over i was Kind of like one of those overachiever types, especially in the company I was in. You know, I wasn't with like a bunch of badass special forces guys or infantry. I was or I was with a support group and I was I was the badass in our group as far as PT and leadership and just really like the soldiering skills that you develop through being in the army and, and I cause it was just it's fun. I was like an adult playing with guns and you know, all the equipment that they let you <clears throat> put your hands on. And, and I enjoyed that aspect, but the, the job itself, it just wasn't, you know, my cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, <clears throat> I mean, that part of it, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's one thing to deal with, like I was in the infantry in the 82nd airborne. So our job was pretty clear. Right. Um, and you know to to the point i guess we stayed so busy that it didn't really affect us as much at the time but people who were dealing with the aftermath of things um that's kind of a shitty job to be honest that's not one that i would want to do i know some of our like every now and again one of our lieutenants would get pulled to go be um the brigades 
what I don't know. I don't remember what the the billet mortuary is affairs. It's a mortuary affairs like specialist type thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, they yes. Yeah, so they would go talk to the families and shit like that. I, I just like fuck that. I mean, somebody's got to do it. I appreciate the people who do, but there's no way I could do that job. I couldn't do it either. I did it, and but it's a very short term job because it can really weigh on you and a lot of the guys no, nobody not many people did 20 years in that MOS for good reason nobody should see that many casualties in a short period of time I mean it was like every day well I was I was stationed in Balad on my second tour and we would get we were averaging two casualties a day and that it was just a very rigorous like um Job. I mean, we had to do it with dignity, honor, and respect. Mm -hmm. We had to do it by the book. You know, this is a very serious situation where someone just died in a war and their families are going to be expecting them to be returned with all their stuff. And, and you know, just hopefully in a full, like a, not missing parts of their bodies, but a lot of times there it was like goo and we were mm -hmm. processing just parts and you find their um dog tags and you know okay so this is them and it was just it was brutal dude it, the jokes that we would come up with to just pass our you know the time or make light of the situation because it was so dark were very memorable to this day i still remember some of the stuff that my friends would you know make fun of and it was it was dark and it was grow but you had like being in that situation you in order to cope you kind of had to make light of the situation right yeah <laughs> yeah it's tough man i mean people do <clears throat> the the uninitiated look at our sense of humor and they're like um you guys are fucked up like no we're just experiencing fucked up things you know it's not the same yeah no totally yeah and i'm you know we my company and myself i i'm a big fan of comedy in general and these really dirty comic mm -hmm. comics and non-pc comics and stuff and that's what i gear my attention toward because i don't know i just built up a level of uh, i don't even know the word but just you had to make fun of the situation in order to get by so uh, that's still what I kind of do to this day. Oh yeah. I think we're all kind of in that boat. Um, cause what else are you going to do really? You know? Um, and then, <clears throat> so as you were transitioning out, what was that like for you? Cause a lot of people have different stories about it. Some people it's easier than others, but it sounds like you had a plan, uh, to do sheath before you even got out. Is that right? That is right. And that made it a lot easier. So I was, I had my attention focused on a mission before, I even got out. I had a team that I was building on the outside to help uh, run the company. And so I had my own little mini squad slash army of soldiers ready to be led by their new leader, General Patton, <laughs> uh, when I got out. And so it was a, a lot easier for me. I, I remember, though, dealing with some of my friends who were getting out at the same time and like one in particular he wanted to cut he wanted to hang out he wanted to he was starting a band because he got out and he was getting like uh benefits from being what do they call that did like disabled or mm -hmm. whatever you get some military benefits and stuff and he was trying to do his own thing and i because he saw me doing my own thing and he wanted to be in my midst to kind of have that positive vibe or whatever but he was coming over and he was like doing a lot of coke and he was doing a lot of drugs and i was like i've been there done that type thing and i know where that leads so i was trying to distance myself from him in particular because i'm trying to build something and he's trying to just probably basically survive we had a little technical difficulty there but you were talking about um and i'm going to go all the way back through it because I think it's meaningful. You were talking about your buddy um, when you were getting out and just the different experiences that the two of you had. Like, I think you make the point that you've got, you had a mission and he didn't necessarily have one, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was trying to be in a band. He was it was called Honeysuckle and he he didn't even know how to play the guitar. It was like it was like he was literally kind of out of his mind because he was all coked up and he would come to my house at like five o'clock in the morning because and I when I told him to be there at seven because he hadn't gone to sleep the whole night before. And um, my roommates are like, yo, there's this dude outside. And I'm like, oh, fuck. So I kind of like I said, I had to distance myself from him just because I dabbled in the powders when I was in college and, you know, a teenager. And I, they, I had too much fun with them and I got kind of carried away with it. So I didn't want to get caught back up in that game. And he, so I, I distanced myself from him and it wasn't long after that where he hung himself and I felt kind of guilty about it because he was trying to reach out to me and be associated with me and maybe, and maybe I could have helped him. I don't know. Uh, but I just didn't, I really feel like I had the training to mm. help someone who's on like doing Coke and stuff. Like that's a whole other level of responsibility that I wasn't ready for. So I just like pulled back and then he did what he did. And then now I feel like an asshole. But what are you going to do? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we all have those um, regrets, but we're not even really trained on how to take care of ourselves, much less each other. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it, It's been a very hard lesson to learn over the past decade or so. Just, you know, because I've had friends uh, who, you know, we've we've stayed in contact and seemed like everything was going okay and then all of a sudden they're fucking dead you know it's like what what are you supposed to do there um <clears throat> but it does that your story specifically underscores the difference between somebody getting out with a plan and somebody not getting out with a plan i think it's really important so um tell me about what inspired you to do this stuff while you were in like what what was it about underwear specifically or what what was it just like a gap in the marketplace that you decided to to fill in or what was it i'm not that smart or that i don't have that much foresight i literally was out in the middle of the desert and i was sweating my balls off and i was so uncomfortable that i decided a to i thought there's got to be an underwear with a pouch in it because i was wearing the army issued whitey tidies they were tan they were super uncomfortable and but i being a guy, whatever, didn't really think about underwear my whole life because who does? Mm -hmm. It's just one of the things you put on, you take it off, and you change it every day, et cetera. But in that extreme situation, I had an extreme discomfort, and they say necessity is the mother of invention. And I, I, I like had this invention in my mind, but I also was aware that someone else had probably already come up with it. So I went online and started searching pouch underwear, pouch underwear, and I couldn't find anything. So that was my cue to make it myself. And I actually, in theater in Iraq, went to the tailors, which we had to keep our uniforms nice and high and tight or whatever, um, dress right dress. Mm -hmm. And, but I, I, instead of having them tailor my uniform, I had them tailoring my underwear. And so I took a drawing and basically some fabrics and i was trying to describe to them because they were actually third country nationals they weren't even you know like soldiers they were the tc and and they uh were kind of snickering at me but they did it and i went back a week later and i had this underwear with a pouch in it and the pouch was way too small and, and it was it, but i the concept was there and it i could see the I just needed some adjustment. So I kept tinkering with it. And, and, you know, when I got home, I bought a sewing machine. I converted all my existing underwear to basically what is now sheath underwear. Mm -hmm. But I, they were just so, you know, very poorly sewn pouches within existing underwear. And it would make them for friends and tell people. And most of the guys that I told at least got the concept. They might not have been sold right away, but they were like, oh yeah, I could see that. And every guy knows that your balls stick to your leg at some point in your life and it's not the most comfortable situation. So they <clears throat> were relatively supportive of the idea 
and it was years because I had the idea in 2008. Mm -hmm. I then, it, you know, like in 2000, by 2010, I had been working on it for a couple of years and I came out with a, we released our first version and it was a total bomb. Like it sucked. The pouch was too high. The underwear, the fabric was like, very cheap from the company that I purchased it from. It was like shedding. And, but again, I could still see there's something here. We just need to keep fucking with it. And it was another three years before we did our second launch. Like, and this was like more of an official launch. And it was through a, a website called Kickstarter, mm -hmm. which a lot of people have heard of, but some people haven't. It's basically a crowdfunding uh, website where you present your idea to the crowd. If they like it, they will basically pre-purchase it on in, in, in under the assumption that once all the money is pulled, you make the order and you send them out their pairs once you've um, made the production. And it was successful. We we were able to get about five hundred people to pull about thirteen thousand dollars. I was able to make the uh, purchase from the manufacturing company and kind of like the rest is history. There is a lot more bumps and along the road, but that put us in, that put us on the map. Like that set us, set things in motion. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, your first iteration, you try to just come out of pocket and, yes. um, if you had it to do all over again, how would you approach that situation? I mean, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but like I'm asking for the for the sake of the audience, if if somebody's out there Absolutely. thinking about starting a business, I have a perfect answer. <laughs> Don't rush. I ru I was so impatient. I wanted to get the product out to market without doing the proper back and forth on the sample sampling process. So I sent them the concept. They send me a sample. I send them some revisions, and they send me another sample. And I should have then revised it more but i was so i was like it's basically I, I think i was telling myself it's close enough or something along those lines and i really wanted it to happen so i rushed so don't rush now don't also don't wait until the product is absolutely 100 percent perfect because then then you're never going to re release it to the market so but you also don't want to rush it you know so give it the proper um just back and forth with with your manufacturer to make sure that it is really like what you want it to be and not just close you know sure yeah um well in tech there's uh it's they like to say that if you release uh your product and it has no bugs then you released it too late right like there should yeah. there you, there should still be some growing pains after your first iteration but it does these days with the internet, it definitely helps to be able to go back and forth with, uh, you know, at least some small subset of a customer base to see what they think before you spend tens of thousands of dollars on your own money doing a production run, right? I mean, it's um, bigger companies can do whatever the hell they want, right? It's that's one thing. But if you're especially if you're coming out of pocket, even if you're financed, um, still, you know, you have to worry about making the company work. Um, and, and if it's, uh, if it's a loan finance, then obviously you got to pay that loan back. Right. So, uh, you can get yourself into some pretty precarious situations if you're not careful. I was very fortunate because I, I never had to take a loan. I mean, we did at one point somewhere in like 2018, I think I took a hundred thousand dollar loan, but we were pretty well established at that point, And it was just to buy more inventory mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, sell to our customers and stuff. It wasn't taking a huge risk, but the, the initial production in 2010 was the last $5,000 that I had from a $70,000 inheritance from my grandfather who had passed away. And I wasted 75,000 or whatever, 65,000 uh, on stuff that I don't have to this, you know, at this point, mm -hmm. I don't know what we spent it on, but it, I had this last 5,000 and I was like, I'm going to turn this into something. I don't want it to go to waste. Like the rest of it had gone and gone to waste. So I put it, 
put it towards sheath. And like I said, it was a bust, but it was the first version. And then we were able to get feedback. And really, I it's funny because I ended up going and working at a tailor, a Vietnamese tailor in San Antonio, who helped me re sew the pouches on that first existing batch, which we didn't sell, but I was able to hand out and get more feedback mm -hmm. as we tweaked the product. And ultimately we ended up making a completely new design. It was the same concept, but just tweaked it because I had this dude who was a master tailor. He'd been doing it for 30 years and he, we made a sample from scratch. And that sample is what we sent in or that we showed for the Kickstarter and presented to the Kickstarter uh, backers. And that's what was successful. And then, like I said, that's what kind of put us on the map. We ended up funny because it was successful. We got the product, shipped the underwear to all of the backers. Everyone's happy. We sell out. I have to order more. When I ordered the second round from that Kickstarter, this that manufacturer, I don't know what they were thinking, but they sent me product that was unsellable. The pouches were all mangled. They had like the stitching was just like frayed. I was like, why did you even send me this? You could should have just kept my money but now i'm in a situation where i have all these customers and now i have underwear that i don't want to give them because it's going to ruin my reputation and i'm back to square one because i spent all my money on this latest batch re-upping and so now what do you do and without a moment like without any hesitation I was like, we got to do another Kickstarter because <laughs> there was a little bit of hesitation. I was like, oh man, we're going to ask them for money again. But I didn't, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like I really had much of a choice. I did have, I was willing to sell my car. I had a car of Forerunner, you know, that I, I probably could have got $5,000 for. And I was ready to sell it if I needed to. But there's so many directions this thing could go to, but essentially when I didn't hesitate and the universe saw, I like to talk in like woo woo sometimes that I wasn't going to give up. Mm. It was like it, the doors opened. <clears throat> it's weird because I came from nothing, mm. you know what I mean? And like where we're at is we're really blessed. And sometimes I, it hits me like, Whoa, you fucking did this. And so what happened was I like out of the blue, a manufacturer reached out to me and they said they wanted to produce for us and we needed, we just so happened to be needing a manufacturer. And so I sent them a sample and then what they sent me back was better. Sorry. Yeah. Take your time. Than what I sent them. And there's all this uncertainty when you're doing something like this and you don't know what's going to happen. But, um, when I tried on the sample, they sent me, it was, it was so good. Mm. It was so comfortable. Like all my uncertainty washed away and I would, and there was a, this was like a six to 12 month time frame where we in between running the second Kickstarter. And so there was a lot of waiting and, you know, you're laying there in bed at night and, you know, questioning what you're doing with your life and if it's all going to work. And, and you have this anxiety. And I remember I would just, I would go to my closet and grab that sample, put it on and like this wave of, reassurance would wash over me like it's gonna work this episode of citizens also brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros right now ghostbed is offering 40 percent off ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base for everything else 30 percent off if you use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros 
if you get the uh, 40% off deal, if you use the 40% off bundle deal, you're going to get uh, a mattress and all your stuff, your base, your sheets, your pillows, all this stuff for about 30 to 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, six zero months, that's five years, uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So it works out great for you, works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out. Go to ghostbed.com for slash drinker bros. Whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base where you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff. They got the best, the mattress protector, the weighted blanket. They have everything you need there. 30% off everything. Use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deal is 40% off. This episode is also brought to you by first form Firstform.com forward slash drinking bros. The product they really want you using is the Micro Factor. It's a complete daily nutrient pack. Now, what's in it? Antioxidants, CoQ10, great for heart health, multivitamins, uh, greens and reds, which is to say fruits and veggies, then EFA, which is to say fats that you need. And then they got a probiotic in there as well. It's an easy little pack. You just dump it all in your fucking mouth and swallow, uh, probably with some liquid, preferably water. Um, they got all kinds of other great products as well. Uh, talking about those meat sticks, the breakfast sausage meat stick is the best thing I've ever had in my life. And of course, they have energy drinks. They've got all kinds of stuff over there. They got great protein, the best supplements on the market. If you spend over 75 bucks, you're going to get free shipping. So go to firstform.com forward slash drinker bros and get those deals. Yeah, there's a lot of lessons there. You yeah. Know? Um, the first mm-hmm. one is the one that I think defines. It defines the military especially, and it's the uh, the don't quit attitude, right? I mean, even at the highest level of the military. Now, there, there's there's some um, differences between these selection processes, but the the majority of the selection process is, is, except for, like, Delta selection, all the other ones, uh, or maybe, I guess, DevGrew as well, but all the, all the other ones are just to see if you're going to quit or not, right? They feel like if you're competent enough, we can teach you pretty much anything, this test is to see if you're going to quit or not. And that's rule number fucking one. Don't quit. Never quit. Right? Yep. Once you quit, it's over. Yeah. Um, and, and the second part <clears throat> that I think dovetails into that is something that I say all the time. In life, you can control your attitude and your effort, and that's it. You know, the circumstances are going to change. Sometimes good shit will happen. Sometimes bad shit will happen. Um, but the way you approach it is going to determine your outcome. Right? Uh, and there is a causal direct link between your level of effort and your attitude and the outcome that you're going to get. You're not going to succeed every time. Hall of Famers only succeed 30% of the time. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, over, over a long enough time period, that attitude is going to get you where you need to be. Yeah, an attitude of gratitude. I mean, that's like a cliche, but I try to maintain that attitude, even though it's hard sometimes. But, you know, staying grateful and positive and just optimistic with you know like uh, adapt and overcome is a kind of a key component of military training you just make it work and we i was very into like the military training i loved that and i i i would have loved to go to buds or something because i have that no quit attitude mm-hmm. i remember in my my freshman basketball team that's how they decided who would make the team. They fucking ran us until you threw up, until like they'd yell at you and like berate you and just like they were trying to make you quit. I made the team, you know, barely, but I didn't quit. And that was just I don't know. Some people are made that way. I don't I don't know that I'm necessarily special in any kind of way. I just don't give up. I don't quit. And it's, I, I don't think a, a lot of people aren't made that way. I remember going through basic training and, you know, other soldiers are getting yelled at and they're crying. I'm just like, did you not know what you were getting yourself into? You're serious? Yeah, that's, uh, that's always fun. Um, it's like, uh, well, welcome to day one, buddy. It's only yeah. going to get worse from here. Um, I loved it. I mean, I that's I don't know what maybe I'm sick or something, but like I loved when they were telling you're not going to make it. You're a loser. You're mm. fucking nothing, and you're, we're going to break you. And I'm just and they were just 
they were testing me. I don't know. Mm. But I, I was like, bring, I don't know. Bring it. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can, you, you, again, in any, any kind of situation like that, um, you get to, you get to absorb the information however you feel like it, right? However you, however you choose, not however you feel like it, it's however you choose to absorb it. And if you, uh, you can either put, you can either put that energy in front of you and it'll stop you or you can put it behind you and it'll motivate you. Right. I mean, that's a real thing. Um, and then, you know, and just in that brief story, there's other, there's a lot of other lessons that I see as well. Like one of them is having the right partners makes all the difference in business. Um, you know, and it, it isn't always the partner with the most connections or the most money either. Sometimes it's the people that you share values with, right. That care about putting out a good product, for example, like the people you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I have a team that have basically been with me since the beginning and yeah, I could probably find some higher level executive that has experience working at a huge underwear company, but I just, it, I don't want to mess up the, the kind of the vibe that we have going with our company and it's, we got a, a good team, a good cohesive unit that works well together. So we're just going to keep, keep on keeping on the way we've been uh, going and, you know, from the get go from 2013, from that Kickstarter all the way up to 2020, 2021. We doubled in revenue every year, you know, which is pretty good growth rate. You know, we went from 30,000 to 60,000 to 120 to 250 to like 500 to a million. When we broke that million, that was pretty cool. Then we did 2 million, then we did 4 million. And then it's COVID mm. over. Like after it, like that 4 million might have been a little bit of a, a unicorn in the sense that maybe we wouldn't have naturally hit 4 million had the government not injected trillions of dollars into the mm. economy. But the next year, so we went, we actually had our first down year in 2022, but it was just barely, you know, it's just like you saw a peak year that was unrealistic to, you know, achieve and in, in, like doubling every year is pretty unrealistic also but we were doing it and i was i was fully expecting to be re reaching a billion dollars within like a decade but i like we're we're in the 4 million dollar range um and it's it's steady you know it's not like we're not going down and we do just so happen to be in a weird kind of a recessionary mm -hmm. inflationary time period so the fact that we're doing as well as we are all things considered I'm pretty optimistic and we have a great loyal customer base, but also like a foothold in the market of the, of, of like being a brand, you know, we have all these UFC fighters, a lot of fighters in general in different organizations, these super high level comedians and podcasters and YouTubers that are speaking on our behalf and representing us as a brand of, and like you, our perfect example of our kind of like badass motherfucker that we want representing mm. our brand type thing. So, yeah, we enjoy it too. I mean, both myself and Ross, like I, <clears throat> we did, uh, I think we did a, a, a deal with you guys. It may have been through an agency. I don't know if we went direct at this time, but it was like what, two and a half years ago or something like that. And that's, I, I, even after the deal ended and we, it kind of, um, we kind of, uh, uh, went our separate ways for a little while. I still buy your product off your website now because it's nice. I mean, it's, you're not going to find better, a better product out there. And that was, that's what really matters to me. It's all right. Well, I guess it's a combination of, I know that the product is good and the, the product being good, generally speaking is a reflection of the team working on it. Right. But then even when you look, when you drill down into that team, it's real people who are doing real shit and not some hedge fund that's just trying to pump out, you know, slave labor made fabrics. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh, uh, I really enjoy what you guys do. And then, you know, one of the other lessons that I'm from <clears throat> when you, 
when you had when the when they sent you the bad product and you had to go back to the drawing board. This is something I try to tell people in business all the time. Um, when I was VP of marketing at Black Rifle, we talked about this a lot. Like every every time the company has an issue that's public facing uh, that involves the product, like a bad production run, or you're you run out of product, or d- even down to the individual customer service complaint. People in business see that as some kind of crisis. Um, they see it as a customer service nightmare. In reality, it's an opportunity to show people your values. Now, the research shows that anytime, let, let's say you send the wrong size to somebody, or you send a shirt and it had the seam was bad and it had it got a rip in it. When you go out of your way to take care of that person, that person is seven times more likely to buy from you than a person who had a good experience, right? So each one of these, and each one of these times, when you think something's going wrong, again you approach it with the same attitude and effort mentality. You, your attitude should be, um, well, I care about this. I'm going to make this right for you, and I'm going to put the effort forth to to do that. And the customer is going to see it. They might. They might roast you on the front end on social media like, hey, what the fuck? You're an asshole. Why would you send me this bullshit? And then I guarantee you this has happened 100% of the time. You fix the problem. They're like, hey, uh, my shit was all fucked up, but they took care of it in two days. It's a great company. I'm always going to come back. And that's how it goes, man, even in life. Every, every one of these little hurdles is an opportunity to demonstrate your value to your customers. Their yeah, their value to uh yeah exactly like I are our values we demonstrate our values but I demonstrate your value to me as a customer like you are the only customer that exists we're gonna go to the end of the world for you and it's hard for me sometimes because I have a customer service team that they get a little bit jaded with customers complaining because that's all they really get mm-hmm. but I remember when I was doing everything so i was doing the customer service emails every time a customer complained we not only do we fix it i'll double like i sometimes would just for us since we made an error i'm not going to just send you the pair that we messed up on i'm going to send you an extra pair Mm. on top of it so that you're actually happy that this error occurred you know and so you flip it from a negative to a positive and i know just like you you described there when an error is made and it's fixed by the other company, your loyalty is increased sevenfold. Mm-hmm. I I made a I was in Denver last week and I was I had to get a, a lift to the the convention center and I ordered a lift like an Uber if you don't mm-hmm. know. And but then I ended up having to cancel it because I had ordered it too soon. We weren't quite ready. I needed like 10 more minutes. So I canceled it. And sometimes they'll give you a fee like, oh, cancellation fee, $5. And I, I feel like I would have been really irritated at them for charging me $5 for my mistake, even though it was my mistake. But the fact that they didn't charge me and they just like canceled it, no, no sweat off our back, you know, call us when you're ready. So I called them 10 minutes later. And then they came and picked us up and took us. But now I'm talking about it because mm-hmm. I I just they didn't penalize me for my mistake. And I and as a company, I know a customer might order the wrong size on accident. I don't want to penalize them. Just send them the right size. Don't even, you know, like blame them. Oh, you picked the wrong size. Because some companies will say like, oh, you you made the mistake. It's your fault. You know, whatever. Like, no, are you? out of your mind fix it for them and they're going to love you forever yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense to i i do i have seen some uh customer service folks especially in the insurance industry but there that's kind of a monopoly and then Mm -hmm. uh uh, some other ones but generally speaking when it's uh especially a direct-to-consumer product generally you see people you either take care of your customer or they go somewhere else that's kind of how it works right um, uh, and you know, the, the benefit of that now, when we're talking about <clears throat> increasing brand loyalty with an individual or even, you know, with a group of people, you're turning somebody from, you know, if you're looking at your marketing funnel, you're turning somebody from a repeat customer into what we call a fire brand then, right? Which means like what you're doing with Lyft right now, they're, they're out there telling that story of their positive, their negative experience turned positive. And Everybody knows rationally that 
every company is going to have, there's going to be negative experiences sometimes, right? Um, but then when you, you know, when you hear the positive outcome, then it kind of changes how you feel about them in your mind. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. And I'm sitting here telling you the story. And I mean, I learned, that's the one thing that I learned from, I have a master's degree in business, but like making a remarkable experience for your uh, customer so that they're going to go out and tell the story of your brand, you know, and just do something exceptional that, and every opportunity, like you said, you, every opportunity, Every, you get this opportunity when something goes wrong to fix it and make it right. And then uh, there's a story that is in, can be told afterwards rather than just like not taking care of them or giving up, I guess, ultimately. Because I do have that situation where we could have, I could have quit. A lot of people quit at the first sign of defeat when I, I got that bad batch of mm -hmm. underwear the second time I, or the it happened twice so I could have quit in 2010 or in 2013 but that was never an option and um so and a lot of people will quit and that that'll be their excuse well I got the I got the bad batch I mean you know the universe or god or whatever didn't want me to do this and 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 everyone will accept that and you can go and live your life and without shame but just know like that's the majority of the people are going to do that and they're going to quit at the first opportunity of some obstacle you know so and if you just don't quit and you keep going you're going to like stand out above the rest of what would have been your competitors because just because you kept going yeah i tell that to young men all the time too it's like um, I often hear them bemoaning how, uh, how weak modern masculinity is, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, oh, yeah. like, yeah, you're right about that. But for you, that's an opportunity. That's like, you know, you're, you're a lion in a cage full of gazelles now, buddy. You should be exercising that to the fullest possible extent. A hundred percent. Just being willing to work these days, I feel like is sets you apart. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it's it's bizarre. We're in we're in bizarre times. This I I really do think we're in the dumbest period of human history. Um, I can't I can't think of any other time. I mean, look, people were ignorant before, right, about science and stuff like that. But we know everything now. You know what I mean? And we're still fucking stupid. Yeah, it is just unfathomable that we've gotten to a point where we have all the access to information, all the information. Maybe it's too much. But, at, you know, and now we're dumber than ever because we're also, we are relying on, on this, these devices to tell us what we want to know. And a lot of times it will kind of like confirmation bias. Mm. You can find the information that's going to suit your narrative on either side. And so. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. It's like, uh, who's dumber the person who doesn't know how to swim or the person who knows how to swim but refuses to. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're both going to drown, I guess, so the outcome is basically the same, but there's clearly a dumber person in that equation. Um, you know, I, I, we, have, we have all this information, but we're not leveraging it towards any kind of, uh, any, towards any kind of positive outcome at this point, which is upsetting to me because – you know, I run in the circles I run in, and, and a, a large majority of my friends are creators of some sort, whether it's, you know, art or music or content or products or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And we are in a creator economy now. We, there are all the tools you need to go directly to your consumer, directly to your fan base, whatever, are there for you to use now. And that's a great thing, right? It emancipates you to some degree from some of the larger institutions that have served as roadblocks or, or gatekeepers to some of this stuff. Like trying to, if, if it was 1950 and you're trying to start uh, an, uh, a blue jean company that competes with Levi Strauss, good fucking luck, right? Because they're, uh -huh. they're going to come after you. They're going to try to cut you out of the market or buy your company entirely, right? At the earliest possible opportunity. Now, I can find a good manufacturer and set up 
I uh, develop my own designs and sell directly to people on the internet, right? And I think there's an the, it's there's an analog to that in society. It's like we have the ability to go direct to people and have conversations with them now and understand how instead of watching, let's say CNN and Fox News to try to determine what the other side, if you want to call them that, thinks. Why don't you just go ask an actual fucking person? Because you have that ability now, you can ask thousands of them anytime you want. Yeah, but you want to reference your preferred news broadcaster as a to to give you the information that you that kind of validates your position instead of just talking to real people. And yeah, they're both they fucking the whole media has lost their mind on both sides at this point. I was like Fox all the way up until like 2019, I guess. And then they started, I don't know, maybe it was their um, like advisory type companies manipulating mm. how they just distribute their content and what they're willing and not willing to say and stuff. And I, I just, I feel like I have a pretty decent bullshit detector. And if it's not jiving, like what you're saying to, doesn't make any sense in my mind to my experience then i'm going to go elsewhere and and where i currently go are you know podcasts and comedians <laughs> that's where i get my my news from yeah same i mean these days it's like uh the traditional media is basically like um a loudmouth annoying person in the middle of your conversation they're like a third party to the conversation that's going on and like a shitty hype man, they offer nothing of value. All they're doing is trying to escalate the conversation into an argument. You know what I mean? Yes. The, the, like the kind of 100%. stuff that they add to the conversation is, oh, so what you're saying is this. And then they give the least charitable interpretation of what you just said. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why are you even involved in this conversation? Get the fuck out of here, dude. Seriously. Yeah, they're always, they want us to eat each other. They want us to murder each other, I think. And then it, I don't know why. I don't know to what benefit that what benefits them, but I, other than they can keep doing what they've been doing and keep like being what I call, I call them criminals, and I, I feel like they're just profiting off of some things that probably we don't know whether it be wars or pharmaceuticals, or, but something's going on, and they're all getting rich while we are distracted amongst our fighting, bickering amongst ourselves, and and they're you know able to continue pushing their agenda that keeps making them more rich yeah that's why i developed uh holloway's razor which is the more the media wants you to pay attention to something the less you should care about it and the if there's something the media will not cover that's the thing you should really be paying attention to you know what i mean because they are absolutely they are just paid propagandists of what i consider to be the uniparty i don't think there's any yeah. real difference at the political level between R and D anymore. It's just it's just a game to extract wealth from the American population. That's really all it is now. And but it's gonna have to come to an end at some point. I don't understand what like the end game for them is because if we're not producing as a country, then like the money's gonna run out. I'm not I don't understand their exact end goal, but I know that they are always trying to distract us from what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like all these, all these stories like, oh, we may have found aliens. Like, shut the fuck up, dude. I don't care about exactly. that. Get out of here. Not like, oh, oh, you're saying there's uh, the, uh, uh, one of Putin's oldest friends is starting a coup in Russia? No, he's not. No, nothing, right. ever, nothing ever happened. He made it like 20 miles uh, and then parked his car and was like, all right, cool, we're not doing that. It's like, all right. I mean, I, I know... I feel like at this point, after the last three years or so, I can feel in my bones when somebody's lying to me at this point. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, dude, just at least try harder to make it like, <laughs> try harder to trick me. I feel in, almost insulted at this point. I know. Yeah, it's like the same old tricks. And I, I, the thing you said about that, what, when they won't discuss a topic, and I hate to you know, be like the Hunter, Hunter Biden's laptop mm -hmm. thing, but there's all this fucking information on there yeah. and it's very incriminating of our sitting president. And they're just like, no, no, we're not going to talk about that. That's a family matter. I'm like, if it was Trump and his son had a laptop, you'd know good well that you would be blasting it all over the airwaves and demore, you know, like calling them criminals and probably 
arresting them. But in this case, it's if they play along with the corporate agenda and then they get special treatment and they'll even do cover-ups and, and stuff for you. It's just like, un, it's, un, it's unbelievable. It's not, I don't know. It's yeah. It's just. It's fucked. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's, uh, um, I tell, I tell people this a lot <clears throat> when they're, when people are engaged in some kind of right versus left argument, I tell them that the aristocracy will protect itself before it'll protect any particular ideology or principle, right? Even before it'll protect an individual person, somebody who's wildly popular politically, let's say, uh, they'll annihilate that person before they'll let them infect the aristocracy. That's why uh, Epstein got his, got his fucking check in the mail, right? Like, if you think that dude killed himself, you're out of your mind. Exactly. Um, but that's how it goes, right? And, it, and it's, I think, it's been interesting to see the evolution the last couple of years because I think people know now that everybody in government's full of shit. They know that, but I think it's such a huge problem that they're still kind of afraid to try to change anything because how do you change it at that point? You know what I mean? I think people, a lot of people are still pretending like nothing's going on because they don't know how to change it. And it's a lot of anxiety to think about that. Uh -huh. Yeah. And you want to, you don't know, a lot of people don't want to think that they're, they can't trust their own government, but that was what we were founded on. You're not yeah, supposed to sure. trust them. <laughs> don't, tr don't trust them. That's the first rule. And then go from there, you know, keep, that's what the press is supposed to be for. And I feel like I get, I guess to an extent, you know, podcasts and, uh, Substack. There are some real uh, journalists out there, like spreading the truth and whatnot. But for the most part, there just seem to be anchor pieces for the the government. You know, just telling us what they want us to hear. Anyways, I don't. I, I don't know how helpful I am in in describing this situation just know that i'm like aware of it i'm seeing it i'm a business owner i'm like i can i've built something that is creating jobs for a, a lot of people and, and it's a good product but I, i'm also like i see what's going on i think a lot of people from the army also have a are a little bit more in tune with the bullshit because we see all the waste that goes on from within, you know, within the military. Well, now everybody's seeing it because they failed yet another audit, and there's three and a half trillion with a T dollars mm -hmm. missing from from uh, 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 from our supply book, basically, right? So our property, yeah. our property book, the collective property book of the United States military is missing three and a half trillion dollars worth of equipment. How is that even fucking possible, dude? Yeah, it's criminal, and I mean, obviously, not, there's no efficiency required for government. You know, it's not you're, because you're not competing against another company, and you're not going to go out of business, so they can just be as unscrupulous and un um, responsible, irresponsible mm -hmm. as, as it, it doesn't matter because their their jobs are secure. You know. Yeah, I mean, the purpose of government in any government, no matter what it is, eventually turns away from serving the people to just propagating itself, right? I mean, that's it's bureaucratic bloat. It happens in any government. The and, and in the same way that a lot of people have quit on shit they've tried to do, whether it's the military or business or education or life or whatever the fuck else, um, we collectively kind of quit paying attention. We stopped holding the government accountable like we like the as you said the this country was set up with an antagonistic viewpoint of government right not of not just of foreign governments or government uh, or or even our government but just the idea of government right the idea of yeah. allowing somebody else to have some kind of control over you was kind of antithetical to the idea of this country and we fell asleep at the wheel because things got really comfortable now that sounds mm -hmm. like bad news and we're not in a great spot right now but the good news is that anything that can be created 
any bad thing that can be created by a lack of effort can be reformed with effort. That's how it works, right? Um, so yeah. now's the time for people to start paying attention. And there's little things you can do. You can, instead of buying, uh, you know, <clears throat> instead of buying your products from big box stores and conglomerates right that, like that, you can find companies that you identify with and value and go straight to them and buy their products. That's what I do. You know what I mean? And sometimes you end up spending a little bit more money or it's not quite as convenient as driving right down the street. But these days with shipping and stuff, it's, it's actually not bad. You know what I mean? Like the, the cost difference is, is very slim. Um, and you know, that's one thing that everybody can do. It's like uh, people ask all the time, well, what, what can I do to help solve this problem? You can stop giving them your fucking money. That's what you can do. Yeah. Quit playing the game and just like, we'll create our own game online, so to speak, and supporting people who are of similar interests to you or companies, podcasts. Typically, I would support the uh, brands that are supporting the podcasts that are presenting the ideas that I identify with. Mm. And that's kind of where I'm at. But that's just also because that's what I'm consuming online anyways. Mm. And then that's where I get my advertising from. Um, is the people who I'm listening to. And so if you just stop listening to the old bullshit and they're here, if, if they're watching this, then you probably plan, you know, doing what we're saying anyways. But I think, like you said, supporting brands that support shows that you identify with are probably a good first step. I mean, that's the least you can do, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's, but it, it is the least you can do, but it's it's something that every single human being can do, right? No matter, uh, and it, maybe it's only one little thing out of your monthly purchases. Maybe there's one thing that you can offload from Target or, or, or Amazon or whatever and go direct to a company. But that's one, that's one more thing in the positive column. You know what I mean? And over time, that shit adds up. Um, before we get out of here, tell people what, tell people where they can find you. Um, and tell, give me a, give me your elevator pitch for sheath underwear. It's sheathunderwear.com, by the way, is the website. Yes. And, uh, my name is Robert Patton. I have a Robert Patton global podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm at Bobby the bank on all of the social medias and I invented sheath out of the necessity because my, I had an uncomfortable situation downstairs. It is a pouch. If there's a pouch in the underwear, that isolates your boys from your inner thigh region that eliminates sticky situations. So you can focus on the task at hand, whether you're hunting or playing a video game or trying to meditate, you know, anytime you have to unstick your balls from your leg is going to be kind of just like uncomfortable. It's like if you're in a line at a store or if you're on in an airplane and in your balls are sitting on your lap sheath is going to isolate them and it's going to prevent that skin on skin contact which is going to prevent that sticking from occurring and they, it just so happens to be like super high quality mm -hmm. sorry a little longer than an no, elevator go. pitch but the the fabric is cooling in it addition is, yeah. to that's yeah. that's actually my favorite part of it like the cup uh in there is nice but the the fabric the material is so nice it's so nice and the construction, the quality. I have pairs that have I've had in my drawer for years. Mm -hmm. And so and if you ha we have a 100% money back guarantee on your first pair. If you don't like it, let us know. You don't even have to send it back. We'll give you your money back. And so that's how much we believe in it. I'm a avid wearer. I mean, obviously, I wear it every day. And hundreds, probably hundreds of thousands of other people are as well. So you, and there's no risk in trying it. So give us a shot and use uh, promo code CITIZEN and you can save 20% off your next purchase. Oh, wow. We've got our own code now. I feel very special. <laughs> Actually, is there a CITIZEN code? I know I, it, there, there is, there either was and there is going to be again in a second. But there will be by the time okay. this is released. If the yeah. if if you're if you're listening to this and you don't and citizen doesn't work for you, then Drink It Bros has a code as well. It's twenty percent off, and it's I'm telling yeah. you they're the best. They're the best box of briefs that exist. Um, That's true. The Drinking Bros yeah. too. Yeah, I care very deeply about my dick and balls, so uh, you can believe me when I tell you this product is really nice. Um, and you said, tell me again where people can find you specifically in your podcast. 
I mean, it's Robert Patton Global on all of the podcast outlets and or Bobby the Bank if you wanted to just follow me on like Instagram yeah. or Twitter or something. I got to get my design guy to make you a new logo that has an actual RPG being fired in it. And it's just your face on the RPG. Um, That'd be dope. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, because it can be so, like, that's what's cool about RPG is it could be the rocket propel grenade yeah, yeah. or role, role player game or Robert Patton global. <laughs> um, all equally explosive. Um, <laughs> so uh, thanks for coming today, man. I really appreciate it. It's been a really good conversation. I appreciate you having me on very much and thank you for yeah just uh, letting me tell my story and uh, speak with your audience so I'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, we'll do it again and I'll come on your show sometime soon. Um appreciate you coming today. Thank you all for listening. This has been Citizen. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.